Greetings in the name of Jesus again. It's good to see so many of you here again this morning. Not so much that I'm the speaker, but that we learn of Jesus Christ. Just like Brother Jonathan shared, Jesus says, I will build the church. And so whose brotherhood is this? Whose, whose church is this? Oftentimes we, and I think it's well and good, but we'll say, well, I go to Brother Davy's church or, or Brother Jonathan's church or Brother Daryl's church. You know, we, we kind of tag the, the leader to the congregation of where we attend. And that's maybe okay. But let's not forget that this is the church of Jesus Christ. And we're here as his representatives. And we should all be, we should all be, well, this morning is brotherhood agreement. We should have a common goal. A common goal. A blessing of a brotherhood agreement. Do we really need a brotherhood agreement? My illustration, those of you that were here last evening, <clears throat> those of you that weren't here this evening or last evening, Maybe you'll be left in the dark a little bit, but Lord willing, you might understand a few things. But on the illustration, down in the bottom circle, we have a person sitting on the throne. And that person can be one of two persons. It can't be both at the same time. It's only one of two persons. And that is either self or Jesus Christ is sitting on that chair. And we are serving one or the other. What does that have to do with brotherhood agreements? If you were to write a brotherhood agreement, I would give you a sheet of paper or sheets of paper and have you jot down your brotherhood agreement, what you, what you feel is proper or what it ought to be. I'll guarantee you that not one of those sheets of paper would be exactly we all have different viewpoints. We all have different perspectives. We all would maybe say the same thing in a little different way. And so sometimes we struggle over wording, whether it should be recommend or shall or expect or whether we ought to have a comma or a period. And we can spend... We can spend lots of time over some of these details and probably some of them are needed and so what does the brotherhood agreement serve what value does it serve us how do we value how do we view what we have already our rules and discipline as we call it here at our church <clears throat> do we see our brotherhood agreement as a blessing. And that's kind of where I want to end up with that question. We're living in the day where it seems like the attitude of don't tell me what to do is on the rise. But in reality, this don't tread on me, is, I don't know if you have it here in Virginia or not, but this little 
sticker that people put on the back of their hijacked pickups or whatever, or blacked out car, and this little snake is curled up and it says, don't tread on me under you. This don't tread on me attitude is about as old as time itself. We can go all the way back to Genesis 3 and we can see this attitude coming from the serpent to Eve and this attitude coming out. According to the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, Satan himself thought within his own heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the earth, I will ascend upon the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I don't know for certain, but I suspect that every one of those things that he says I will do was things that God said you won't do. Don't know for sure, but I suspect that. Let me bring some of this, this thing to maybe some closer to home attitudes. I refuse to listen or submit to no other. I will be my own boss. I will do as I please. No one has the right to tell me what to do or how to do it. And the list could probably go on. But are any of these thoughts or any of these thinking sound familiar? Somehow we naturally struggle with this authority thing. We naturally struggle with that. But I want us to consider a question. If I'm struggling with submitting to authority, who is on the throne? You see, Jesus in, in the scriptures, I don't see anywhere that Jesus says anything about Go be your own boss. In fact, there's different places in Scripture that says submit. Submit one to another. Even if it costs your own life. Jesus himself submitted to the authorities that he didn't agree with. I'm convinced of that. He didn't agree with Pontius Pilate. He didn't agree with the Sanhedrin, but yet he submitted to their authority, and it cost him his life. He met destruction. So, back to our brotherhood agreement. There's a few dangers that I want us to consider in, in this thing of, of looking at the brotherhood agreement and by the way, just for clarification purposes, there's been some books that I've read recently, not necessarily in preparation for this message, but um, over the last few years. Um, one of them is called Church Matters by Gary Miller. Some of you probably are very familiar with that book. Excellent book on this subject of how churches should operate and how we should view things and that kind of thing. Excellent book. And 
I didn't necessarily pick out any particular things out of that book, but you might, there's a few things that I might say either to this morning or tonight that might resonate if you're familiar with that book. Another writing, and, and I will make some comments to the regards to this little writing, are written standards for the church by John Colbins. I believe it's still available from CLP. Um, excellent writing, not, not a long book or, or pamphlet more so, um, but I will make some comments in, towards some of his things. The Upward Call book, there's a section in there in relation to serving the church and serving others. Excellent, uh, again, by Brother John Colbins, but an excellent writing on how we as brothers or the brotherhood should operate. And, and I, too, I was thinking about Brother Jonathan's opening comments about the brotherhood. Um, the older I get, the more I appreciate our brotherhood. Um, it, it's, just, it's just meaning more. Um, sharing the load. And Brother Anson talked about this thing of, of experiences in the past kind of helps us to, to face some things that's coming down the pipeline or in the future. Um, that, that's a good, that's very good that we experience that. Okay, looking at a few dangers, I want us to look at a few dangers simply because I believe that there can be some dangers, inherent dangers to a brotherhood agreement. And, and by the way, Brother John Coblis does address some of those in his little booklet, Our Written Standards for the Church. The first danger that I want us to consider is it becomes our conscience. It becomes our conscience. Where were the Jews in Jesus' day or even in our Sunday school lesson this morning? How did they view the, the law? It was their conscience. The law was the law was the thing. If you kept the law, then you were a child of God. You were what God wanted you to be. And here again, in these dangers, I in no wise want to diminish the value of our brotherhood agreement. I want to be very clear with that up front. It's just that I want us to be balanced on this thing of the brotherhood agreement. <clears throat> and it can become our conscience. Have you ever thought or have you ever made any choices with this thinking? Beings, the church hasn't said, I can't do it, then it must be okay. Is there anything, any choices, anything that you are doing or have done in the recent past that's, that looked at your rules and discipline and says, well, there's nothing in here that says I can't do it, so it must be okay. John Koblenz in his book, our written standards for the church says this. By overregulation, written standards become the primary measure of spirituality and thus confuse and reduce some sp true spirituality. I'm going, to, I'm going to illustrate something over here on the board. It seems to me at least, maybe that's because I'm kind of a teacher, but it seems to me that I can grasp some things when it's illustrated. And so I'm going to illustrate something on the board. <clears throat> Move this so I have some more space. 
But God, God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. And we all would agree with that. God expects his people to be a holy people. And so the holiness of God is the standard by which we make our decisions. Is that not right? That, that should be, that should be the, our desire. To, to live a life of holiness or, or make our decisions that lift the holiness of God to the plane that it ought to be. Our rules and discipline or our church brotherhood agreement, where should that be? Does our brotherhood agreement, does that on the equal plane as the holiness of God? I see some shaking heads. And they're exactly right. Our brotherhood agreement is down here. Our brotherhood agreement is not or does not constitute the holiness of God. And you may say, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Personal conviction ought to be somewhere between the brotherhood agreement and the holiness of God. You see, the holiness of God is the standard, not the brotherhood agreement. And I am a firm believer, especially in the day that we live in, in the electronic technology and, and how fluid and how fast technology is developing among us and, and what's available to us in technology. There is absolutely no way whatsoever that this little booklet is going to keep up and control the dangers of electronic technology. Absolutely none. And, and you could say that for some other things as well. Our personal conviction must be higher than our brotherhood agreements. It must be. Even in the area of music, I don't know when's the last time you read the rules and discipline and what we expect you as members in the area of music. It has a few things in there, but there is a whole vast of music out there that this doesn't speak to. The brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that doesn't belong in a Christian's life. Our, our, does our level of conviction on some of these areas where this little booklet doesn't speak to, is it higher than where this book is at? It ought to be. It ought to be. If it's not, then I believe we're falling down on this first danger of a brotherhood agreement becoming our conscience. And that, my friends, is dangerous ground. A chain is no stronger than its weakest link. If I have a farm tractor that is stuck out in a mud hole and I go get my chain to pull it out, if I'm going to rip that chain in two, it's going to be at the weakest point. I think you all understand that. A person is no more holy than their weakest moment. And we may say, ouch, 
that's true. The person is no more holy than your weakest moment. What you are this morning, sitting in church, may not be the true, the true content of who you are. And you say, now wait a minute, preacher. I believe that. I believe that. Because we can, we, can we can put a nice, pious front on. Like I said last evening, our actions, our volition up there in the top left-hand corner comes out of our hearts. But if our hearts aren't right, we can have all kinds of good things. Jesus said, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And there shall be many in that day say, Lord, have we not preached the word? Have we not healed? Have we not done this? Have we not done? And lots of good things. And he's going to say, I never knew you. And I have pondered on that some years ago. I preached through the Sermon on the Mount, and that's the last subject on the Sermon on the Mount. And this diagram came to me when I was preparing for that message. And I pondered on that. Why, why would God say, I never knew you, when they were effective in the ministry? And I'm convinced that down here in this bottom right-hand corner, the, the problem was they were serving self. And Jesus was not part of the picture, other than some nice, good, pious, and well-pleasing words. No person is more holy than their weakest moment. Well, that's danger number one. Danger number two. Our rules and discipline, our brotherhood agreement can stifle Holy Spirit guidance. And you say, now wait a minute. Have you ever thought, in other words, maybe the Holy Spirit says, you know, I, I want you to go to, to mission work. And then you say, you know, I'm not sure if the church will let me do that. I don't know what was going on in Peter's mind in the story that we have in Acts 10, verse 28, where he was contemplating that scene that came down of heaven and this, this, this basket of all these unclean animals came into his vision and the voice, the Holy Spirit told him to, to rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, Lord, I can't do that. It's a bunch of unclean animals. Happened three times. Well, after the third time, the Holy Spirit told him, he says, what God has called clean Don't you turn around and say it's unclean. And that was a big pill for Peter. Well then, but then right after that, these visitors came and, and knocked on the door. And, and if we're familiar with Acts 10, we kind of know how the story went. But in verse 28, if we want to turn there, Peter says this, makes this comment. And I, I still think that Peter, in the back of his mind, was was thinking that this is a place that I, as a child of God, shouldn't be. Because the church says, or in his day, it was the, maybe the, the Old Testament law, the church says, the Brotherhood Agreement says, that I don't belong here. Acts 10, verse 28. And this is his comment to Cornelius when they met the following day. 
And he said unto them, You know how that it is, an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter got the drift. Peter was convinced that God's, God's desire of building his church was much larger than just the Jewish community. He was now convinced of that. But yet, the thing that kind of, the, the thing that I want us to think about is how much was still kind of in the back of Peter's mind that he didn't belong here, simply because of the brotherhood agreement. And so that's the danger of, another danger that I see a brotherhood agreement is we have things kind of in a box, and anything outside that box is off limits. We need to be careful with that. But on the heels of that, I do want to add a warning. And in my notes, I have warning in capital letters with an ex exclamation point. Warning. Pers putting personal calling and revelation over congregational approval is dangerous. And I have seen people that have done exactly that. They felt that they were called to go mission work. They were called to go somewhere else outside their congregation. And, you know, God is leading me. God is leading me. And all this flowery words. And guess what? In a matter of a few years later, they're not even anything close to what they left. Let's be careful. Let's be careful with this thing of personal revelation or personal calling over congregational approval. That's the flip side. That's the flip side. The third danger that I want us to consider is our brotherhood agreement becomes easier to legislate rather than heart-to-heart -heart appeal. And this is maybe more for your church leaders in administration, but it's easier to be a prophet than it is a pastor. It's easier to be a prophet than it is to be. It's easier to get behind the pulpit and pound the pulpit and say, congregation, this is the way we're doing it, period, than it is to share our concern and then take you out for lunch and give you a heart-to-heart -heart appeal of where you are at as far as sheep. John Koblenz in his book, our written standards for the church says this, and I quote, By overregulation, written standards become the focus of church administration. And yes, God has called us to be leaders. I understand that. But yet, let's be careful. He also called us to be pastors. He also called us to be disciplers. And that, my friends, is what takes work. Do we as leaders, and those of you, and I'm not talking just to the leaders, I, I think there's some responsibility among the sheep to kind of disciple and mentor other sheep as well. Are we taking the time to effectively discipling the sheep and encouraging them to maybe do better? Encourage them to build the convictions that is somewhere between our brotherhood agreement and the holiness of God. The fourth danger that I want us to consider is brotherhood agreements can militate against the Christian exercise of love. You can go to Revelation chapter 2. In the first church that is listed, 
the first seven verses, we have the interesting, the church at Ephesus. And we have Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus called the book of Ephesians. And it's a beautiful book. It's a very useful book. But it seems to me that the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, 1 to 7, even though they were, very, they were a very polished and pious church, they had things going for them. They had... They were, prof they were false prophet sniffers. They didn't have any room for any type of false teaching or false prophets. They were a church that maybe you would say, they had a lot of things going for them. But the Lord of the church says there's one thing lacking. And that was they had left their first love. They had left their relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus was no longer king sitting on the throne. And then the Lord of the church had called them to repent. When there is an overemphasis on law, and we see that in Jesus' day as far as the, what the Jews considered the epitome of, of God's law. Then the leaders become lords. And we see in first the admonition in First Peter 5, 3, Peter says that we are not to become lords, but to be an example to the flock. Galatians 5, 15, sheep become critical and suspicious of each other. Instead of looking outside the window, so to speak, and reaching and seeking souls that are lost to be saved, to be drug inside the church, we're looking across the auditorium at someone else and saying, well, they're not doing it right. Why don't you go talk to them? And so we become suspicion critical of each other when there's an overemphasis on brotherhood agreement. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.3, and, is, and, this is, and this is in the context of some of this. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying a strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? And walk as men? And so when there's strife and, and, and division within the congregation, I ask us again, who is sitting on the throne? Who is Lord of the church when we can't agree in our brotherhood agreements? Again, John Koblenz in our written standards for the church says this, and I quote, Where the church loses sight of its earthly mission to win the lost and disciple them for Jesus, internal fighting over standards and personalities and issues is almost inevitable. Let me reread that to you. Where the church loses sight of its earthly mission to win the lost and disciple them for Jesus, Internal fighting over standards and personalities and issues is almost inevitable. So let's be careful with this thing of our brotherhood agreement. <clears throat> there are some inherent dangers that come along with it. Now, am I saying that we ought to take this little book and throw it out the window? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, let's look at some blessings. 
This is really what we came for, right? To hear the blessings of the Brotherhood Agreement. Well, the first blessing I want us to consider is it keeps us unified. We all know what this little book says. And so we, we kind of, it keeps us unified. But tonight is blessings of a unified church, and so I'm going to stop that part right here, and you'll have to come back tonight. The second blessing is provide stability. Generationally, we have generations coming on. And yes, I know our children kind of grew up in our homes. And that's a good thing. And they're taught from, in quotes, day one, of this is just simply the way we do things. And we accept that. We accept that. But yet, it seems to me, as I look among families sometimes, that this generational gap between what mom and dad look like and looks where their convictions seem to be and where Junior and Sally are at, you kind of wonder of the transmission of those convictions. And you kind of wonder where mom and dad are really at with the Brotherhood Agreement. And so... When we all can take the Brotherhood Agreement and we all say, yes, this is what we're going to do, and I'd be glad to do all that, it helps with this generational gap and the, and, uh, the fall down generationally. It also provides some stability in the face of new ideas or change. In other words, when something is written down, at least in our church, it seems like it takes an act of Congress to get anything changed. And sometimes it takes a while. A year or two, maybe. And sometimes after that, or before that even happens, there's a lot of discussion sometimes, and that's okay. And, and at times I get a little frustrated at, at some of our conferences, and I'm like, come on, let's, let's make a decision and move on. Well, you know what? There's a blessing in some of these decisions that we face, and it takes us a year or two. Because there is extreme danger in making rash decisions, and then two years down the road, like, oh, mm, that's not so good. That's one of the reasons that I have grown to appreciate the Southeastern Conference. The third blessing. I want us to consider it gives us all something to submit to. Remember I said if I gave you a, a sheet of paper or sheets of paper to write down your brotherhood agreement, we all would have something different. It, not, not one of those two, not one of those agreements would be the same. And so it gives us all something to submit to. The New Testament church administration is neither democracy or a dictatorship. But rather, through dialogue and discernment, we derive to a decision that pleases the Holy Spirit and us. And we see that in Acts 15, verse 28, where 
Paul and Silas, I think it was, went from Antioch down to Jerusalem to discuss this issue of circumcision. There was, it was kind of a big thing in, in the Antioch church. The Judaizers were saying that th these new believers, these Gentile believers, needed to be circumcised to be a child of God. And so they took this question down to, and it, I suspect that it was about dividing the Antioch church. And so Paul and Silas went down to Jerusalem to conference, and they discussed the, the, in conference, they discussed this issue. And I suspect that most of the people at conference at that time were Jews. The, the Gentile, the influx of the Gentile people were, it was fairly new at that time. And so there wasn't probably a lot of Gentiles among them, at least in the leadership. But in Acts 15, verse 28, uh, it's, it's such a blessing to see that. This is the decision, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. And I suspect that probably there was a good number of the leaders that had to submit to that decision. And there was a good number of people back at the church at Antioch that had to submit to that decision for or against it, on both sides of the fence. And so the conservative as well as the liberal mindsets need to submit to our brotherhood agreement where we come out. The shepherd as well as the sheep find opportunity to submit. John Koblenz, in his book, Our, Our Written Standards for the Church, says this, and I quote, With a focus on love and edification, members need to be willing to sacrifice personal liberties for the sake of brotherhood. End of quote. We need to understand that the brotherhood agreement may not be exactly the way I like. But when, but when the final vote and the discussion is all done and the final vote is taken, then it's up to us to submit. Discussion is over with. And I've said before that the true test of submission is what we say after the vote. The true test of submission is what we say after the vote. The fourth blessing our brotherhood agreement can be a, a testimony to those outside. And I talked a little bit about this last evening in Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. Ye are the light. Ye are the light. And when the world that looks on, those in darkness, looks on to a group of people that are willing to submit their personal likes and dislikes and, and come out as a whole, and come out as a group, and not frizzle and frazzle and blow up into millions of pieces because we don't agree. It says something to the society around us because that's how they resolve their issues. Surely the church can do better. And so when we can agree, whether it's my personal preference or not is beside the point. When we can agree, it, it sends out a beam of light that hopefully is attractive to those that are still living in darkness. The fifth blessing 
our brotherhood agreements can aid those that aren't familiar with our interpretation and application of Scripture. From other fellowships, like Brother Anson said this morning, the Southeastern Conference is not the only church that's going to get to heaven. And I agree with him. It's not the only church. But yet there are other fellowships that maybe their application is a little bit different than ours. We should be good with that. We should be, but if they're interested in coming to our church, to our fellowship, we can give them something that maybe could answer some of their questions before they have questions. And that's, that's the value, that's the blessing of having a brotherhood agreement. When I was asked to teach school at Berea, 20-some years ago, I'm a little bit like Anson, I'm kind of revealing my age just a little, I was sent in the mail the Brotherhood Agreement. And one of the questions on the application to teach was, am I willing to uphold the standards of the Southeastern Mennonite Conference? I was not a part of you all. I read it, and I said, yeah, I can uphold that. And so I checked that particular box, yes, and I spent a year at Berea. It helps me. It also aids those that are from the other world, from the world of darkness, that they come in and they seek, they're, they're seeking to be saved and they see that we have an answers or maybe it's through contacts or maybe it was someone that you brought, you drug in here. I don't know. And they said, well, why, why this? And they have all kinds of questions. Well, we have something to give them that they can take home with them and they can sit down and they can read it. Actually, we ought to be willing to give our little brotherhood agreement out to anybody that is seeking. Because that's the real mission of the church, to seek to save and go and make disciples. So it aids in that teaching program. We should be willing to use and not ashamed our brotherhood agreement when we sit down with a seeker that wants to know and wants to understand the ways of God. Like I said last night, on a personal level, me as individual, am I convinced of my values? Am I convinced of where God wants me that if someone did exactly like me, they would find God? Well, that's what they should find in the church. Even though our brotherhood agreement does not equate the holiness of God, they should be able to find God. The sixth blessing I want us to consider is it gives a sense of security and comfort. I don't know how many of you are familiar with sheep. We have one sheep in our farm, and so that hardly constitutes the, the, the knowledge of being a shepherd. But I understand that sheep <clears throat> are most content or most comfortable knowing that danger is as far away as possible. Sheep don't, sheep don't like danger close. And so in the old days, where they had, before they had fences and farms like they have nowadays, the shepherd would live among the sheep. And at night time, I understand that they would build a fire or something in the middle of an open pasture or a big, a big meadow of some sort. And that was probably about equal distance from any woods or anything like that close by. And they would build a fire because... The light of the fire would keep the wolves and the, and the foxes and other varmints that like to eat sheep away 
Um, and, and the sheep were comfortable with that. And they, they stayed together. They stayed close to that light. Today we use fences. Real recently there was a, a bear that got into a neighbor's sheep fold inside the fence and those sheep just about went berserk. And if it wouldn't have been fences, they probably would have, who knows where you would have found them if they wouldn't have had fences. And the sheep kind of confined those, or that fence, those fence kind of confined the sheep, but they were one scared pack of sheep because there was a bear in the fence, inside their fence. And not a good news, not good news. <clears throat> and it took them a while to get comfortable. I've been told that children are more adjusted when they know where their boundaries are at. When there's clear boundaries in our homes, in our schools, or wherever there's children around, when, when there's clear lines, the, the line is drawn in the sand and it's okay up to this point, but after that point it's not okay. Children, children do well, do better. They're, they're more adjusted and they're, they're, they're happier, they're, they're more satisfied when there's clear lines of boundary. Well, we as church sheep, I think, are more relaxed. And we do better. And there's less strife among us when we know where there's clear boundaries. Where we know where that line in the sand is drawn. And so that's the value of a brotherhood agreement. We also have some goats on our farm. We only have two currently, but a few years ago we had, I don't know, about a dozen of them. And the saying of the grass is greener on the other side of the fence is definitely true with goats. Definitely true with goats. The, the, we have, a, a, it's not an electrical fence on most of our farm, a little farmette, I guess. Um, it's a woven fence. And these goats, and I don't know if I've seen the sheep do this yet. But the goats will stick their head through the fence and eat the grass on the other side of it. They're great fence row cleaner uppers. Um, they'll, they'll keep the, as far as they can reach, oh, about next foot, foot and a half. On the outside of that fence, this is about as clean as you can get it. Almost cleaner than the pasture. Well, one day, a couple years ago, one day I saw one of our goats that had a problem of getting his, her her head stuck in the fence. We had, I put up a new fence and I didn't get quite the fence that had big enough uh, openings for a goat to get, his, get her head back out of the fence. And so she'd get the head in the fence, but with her horns and stuff, she couldn't, she couldn't pull it back out. Well, this one day I saw her, she had her head through the fence, and she obviously was eating grass, but then I noticed that she, had, she must have saw that grass was greener on the other side of the fence, and so she stuck her head back through the fence and was eating the grass at her feet. And lo and behold, she couldn't get out. There she was stuck. And it took me a little bit to try to get that goat to kind of cooperate with me and get her head back through one side of the fence and then back through the other side of the fence. We find that story a little amusing, and I, I understand that. But I wonder, are we a sheep or are we a goat this morning? How green is the grass on the other side of the fence? In this thing of brotherhood agreement, <clears throat> it's a blessing. We know where the lines are at. 
But is the grass greener on the other side? For this goat, she found out that the, she, she just would have stayed, kept her head on her side of the fence. She would have been just fine. But, and I don't think I, that wasn't the last day that goat had her head caught in this fence. <clears throat> I did fix it with an electrical fence, though, then soon after that. So in conclusion to blessing a brotherhood agreement, I'd like for us to turn to Acts 15. Starting with verse 28. And this is kind of jumping in kind of after the story of looking at kind of the results of what happened at Jerusalem Conference and the, the Brotherhood Agreement that was formed. Verse 28, Acts 15. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. And I'm going to pause here just a little bit. The, the real reason that they had this conference was to discuss what? Whether, whether circumcision was needed or not. In the results, in the, in the conclusion of conference or, or the recommendation from conference, was there anything said in there about circumcision? Not a thing. Not a thing. Now let's look at the results of this answer. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. They rejoiced, and so the church at Antioch were, re were satisfied, were fulfilled. The, the, the answer that came back from conference, I'm sure there was probably some that, just, that didn't agree with it. I'm sure of that. Or they wouldn't have had the conflict to begin with. But yet, isn't this such a blessing and such a beautiful thing that the church at Antioch rejoiced for the consolation? Rejoiced for the consolation. Would be to God that every epistle from conference would cause rejoicing in the congregation. And because really, isn't that what God wants? Do we not see... Do, do we as a congregation not see and understand that the voice of God coming through the church and how we should operate? I was trying to think this morning as I was thinking about this that there was a reference in Scripture, and I couldn't seem to find it in this setting, that the people were, were willing to do what was there. What was they were asked to do? I couldn't find it in this setting, so I, maybe I have another setting in mind. I'm not sure where, where the people had a ready mind to do what was asked of them. Maybe that was in Paul, one of Paul's writings. I'm not sure. But is that our perspective of our brotherhood agreement? And I know this COVID issue has caused a lot of dis, a lot of discussion within congregations. And I'm not talking just about our congregation or our church at Southeastern Conference, but there's a lot of churches that are, that there's strife over this, this virus issue. And, and 
brotherhood meetings aren't going so well, I understand. And I'm not talking about just in the valley. It's, it's, it's across the country and maybe around the world. I don't know. Brotherhood, greet, meet, brotherhood meetings aren't going so well. God wants us to be unified. God wants us to, and by the way, maybe I'm getting in tonight's message and so I should just quit. But are we ready to support a brotherhood agreement and say, yes, that's what I want. That's what we ought to be doing. And leave the building with a determined heart that that is what I'm going to do. Do we rejoice over the encouragement of our brotherhood agreement? May God help us to that end. Turn it back over to the ministry.